The following sermon is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. ...been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is God's word. Consider when people say, God be with you. I mean, this common blessing when people say, God be with you. I'm not sure that people often mean this literally. I think uh, when many, many say this and many even receive this kind gesture of God be with you, they take it in a sense of figuratively, that God cares for me, that he provides for me, that he encourages me through friends and through family, through uh, kind people, teachers, neighbors. Uh, and so God blesses me through the hands of others. And so when we say God be with you, we usually mean it figuratively. We mean that God cares for you, that you're not alone, that you're not going through this life all alone and people love you and care for you. But Matthew is saying the promise of Emmanuel, God with us, is greater than anyone imagined. It's not that God is with us in a figurative sense. It's, it's that God is actually literally with us, among us. It is, he has not come to us in a figurative sense, but he has come to us actually. So God, God is not merely a force. He is not a feeling or just a power, but God is both infinite and very personal. He's not an intangible life form that we can't grasp. Um, he's not an intangible life uh, power that we need to seek after, but he is rather God who has come to find us. And if we understand Christmas correctly, we will understand that it is the one. He is the one who has come to us. He is the beginning, God Almighty, where there is no before him. He was not created. He, was, uh, he, he was, always was the creator of all that there is. He has come to us. He has come and taken on human form. But for what purpose? This is wonderful. It's a wonderful thing to even ponder and to consider. But why did God do this? He did this primarily so that we could have a relationship with him. So we could have a personal, relational uh, relationship with him. In the Advent season, we've been talking about the cause and expression of our joy. We have said that Jesus is real, so we don't have to look elsewhere for salvation. We have said that Jesus is great, so we don't have to be in control. And today we see that Jesus is God, so we could have a personal relationship with him. And just like we've done in previous weeks, let's break this down as we look in our passage. First, Jesus is God. We think about the angels at Christmas. Uh, it's on Christmas cards, it's on top of trees, it's, uh, uh, it's a decoration that's common for Christmas. And when we think of the angels coming to people, we think of the angels often coming to Mary, and telling her that she is going to bear this son who will save his people from their sins. We remember that the angels came probably most famously to the shepherds on that night in the middle of the night and told them that Christ had been born. Um, it's easy to forget that the angels also came to Joseph. And Joseph was told something about Jesus that no one else was told. We learn that he is human and that he is God. He is both of these things, and he is with us. 
And there are a few ways that the angels drives home, drive home this message. Look in verse 20. He says, the, the human growing inside of you, the child growing inside of, of I'm sorry, inside of your fiancé, that would be a real miracle. I mean, <clears throat> the, the child, the human child growing inside of your fiancé is, is, uh, is a human being uh, that is from the Holy Spirit, that is also God who has come to dwell with us. And so on this day, Joseph learns that he will be the father of this child only in a secondary sense. Uh, that God is the father of this child. God is the real father. And so just take a step back with me. Uh, we hear this so much, and we hear it so much that we, we lose its, we become desensitive, desensitized to it. God tells Joseph to take the pregnant Mary as his wife and to accept the fact that the pregnancy has not come about by some scandalous or shameful act on Mary's part, but through the miraculous work of God. And the child that is growing inside of her is God himself. And this would be shocking to his ears, just as it would be to yours if this message came to you today. Why? Why would this be so astonishing and shocking? Because Joseph understood how babies were made. Okay? He understood, like you do, where babies came from. Joseph did not exist in this, he did not exist in some pre-scientific knowledge of biology or anatomy, and that's why he was so inclined immediately when he found out that she was pregnant to quietly end his relationship with Mary. But God is calling Joseph to believe in something greater than he could ever imagine, that this child was God and was put there by God. So astonishing, so amazing. So hard to believe. And it would be, in so many ways, as you can imagine, easier for Joseph to believe an alternate story. To disregard the word of God and believe something else. He could have thought, no way. No way can I be expected to believe this thing that God has said. No way am I going to provide support and love for this child that is not mine. No way I'm going to endure the smirks and the questions and the the ridicule uh, regarding the timing of this pregnancy. It's too hard. I can't do it. It's too much to bear, and I cannot go through with it. Joseph would know, in in this context of an honor and shame culture, that if if he stayed with Mary, he would endure so much ridicule. And the people would start to do some math. Uh, in this culture, as even if they do today. Mary, how do you have like a perfectly healthy eight-pound baby five months after your marriage? I don't know how, how much he weighed. But think about this. Like a perfectly healthy baby, we're doing the math, and you just got married. Something's not adding up. The angel says, she's pregnant with God. She's pregnant with God. Marry her. And Joseph believes this news, and he reorients his entire life around it. Could you just... Can you think about that for a moment? He believes this news, and he reorients his entire life around it, changes his whole entire life. He endures things that are very, very difficult because what God said. He believes that this is true, that her pregnancy did not come about by some shameful act, but God was working and put a child there. And it's not just Matthew who makes this claim in Scripture. It's not just Matthew who tells us that that the angel said that God is growing inside of Mary. The Apostle John says that Jesus is the Word 
who eternally existed as God, from who all creation has its being, who would take on human flesh in the birth of, of Jesus. Paul, who was a Jew and also an expert in theology, uh, probably the smartest man of all, of all the law and revelation from God, said that the fullness of God dwells bodily in Jesus. Not just part of God, not just a certain measure of God, but the fullness of God dwells bodily in Jesus. Peter calls Jesus our God and our Savior. Jesus himself, by his own claims, declared himself God and existing with God before creation. And these claims could just be claims if they were not backed up by, by action. And all throughout the New Testament, we see Jesus constantly forgiving sin, something only God had the authority to do. He said that he would come one day and return and judge the earth. Again, an act that only God had the authority to do. Jesus takes upon himself the divine nature, divine attribute, and divine actions of God and claims them for himself. And he, this even leads, it even leads to his own crucifixion. People were so offended because they knew what Jesus was saying when he was saying what he was saying. There's no way you could be God. And like Joseph, we might be prone to take a stance intellectually that is much easier to swallow. If not God, then maybe what else could he be? Well, he's a great teacher. He has taught us great morals. And I want to, I want to listen to what Jesus says because historically he has been a great teacher. No one is a great teacher like Jesus. He is for us a great example. He's a great example for how to treat enemies. He's a great example for how to treat our neighbors. He's a great example for how to treat people when we are wronged. And I want to live by that kind of code of morality. He's a helpful guide. He shows us a way of life to self-improvement. And if life is hard, he shows us a way to how to have a life of, of greater prosperity, peace, and, and joy. Or if anything, Jesus is a cheerleader for us. He's in our corner and he's rooting for us. He's a cheerleader in the midst of life's troubles. And of course, Jesus is all those things, but that's not what the angel came to say. Here's the claim of Scripture. Jesus is God. And that's the meaning of Christmas. And the scriptures give us no permission to believe anything but that, that Jesus is God, that the infinite God became a man. The infinite creator God became a man. And if you ask a dozen people what Christmas means, not many will say Christmas means that the infinite God became a man. Uh, they might say, I think about it's, it being good to others, a sharing joy or something, family, right? Is that the answer? It's about family. Christmas is about that. It's about pursuing harmony and unity with humankind. We've been watching a movie this week. At the end of the movie, of course, the moral of the story was, I see now that, 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 that Christmas is not all about the hustle and bustle. It is not about the gift giving. It is not about um, uh, getting more. And, and I'm thinking, he's on to something. It's not about those things. It is about goodwill to all people. Oh my gosh, what's happening? It is about the infinite God who became a human. That is what Christmas is. Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. And if Jesus is really God, what does it mean for us practically? This one word, Emmanuel, is really three words. It means God with us. You could, spend, you could just spend your time thinking about each of those individual words. What does that mean? We've spoken about the first word of God. Let's, let's talk about the next two, with us. Us. Let's talk about the second part of our equation. Jesus is God, so we can have a personal 
relationship with him. The purpose of the incarnation would be that we would have a personal relationship with God. Now think about this. Let me just appeal to your reason for a second. If you can believe that there is a God, an infant God who created all things, and he became a man, then everything else he says should be pretty easy to handle, pretty easy to believe. What's more unbelievable than the claim that the infinite God who created all things and even created you became a human just like you to have a relationship with you? What is more, what is more unbelievable than something like that? God became a man at Christmas. Yes, I believe that. And he grew, grew up and, and he died for your sins. I believe that as well. And you can have a personal relationship with the creator God to such a degree that your hopes and fears and joys would be met in him. And I find that hard to believe. Jesus, the God became a man. I believe that. And you could trust in him. Well, you know, there's difference of opinions on that. God became a man. Oh, I believe that. And the way to ultimate satisfaction is by following and trusting in him. I just don't know where you get that from. Do you see what we do? Do you see what's happening here? If you can believe in Christmas that God became a man, everything else that he says should be so easy to handle. Because God becoming a man is the most unbelievable thing. Joseph believed it. He changed his whole life for it. He reoriented everything around it. If you can understand Christmas, then it will become far easier to accept the rest of what is taught in the Bible. But we believe in the incarnation. It's that we believe, as, as Christians, we believe that God became a man. And then we go through the pages of scriptures and we say, he doesn't know me. He doesn't understand me. He doesn't understand my circumstances. How could he help me? He doesn't know how messed up I am. Do you understand? If we can believe that he became a man, then everything else should fall into place. Everything else should be, of course this is going to happen. God became a man. Of course he's going to come back. Of course my sins are forgiven because of what Christ did. Of course he lived. Of course he died. Of course he rose again. And it even seems like rising from the grave is actually easier to believe than God becoming a man, isn't it? Easter is, is, is not the most unbelievable thing. Christmas is. I find that much harder to comprehend. But let's talk about this personal relationship, that God has come to be with us so that we could be with him. And, and that relationship, that relationship that is most intimate and committed and, and loving would be the source of all of our joy and satisfaction. That's what Christmas means. Let's talk about the elements. What are the elements of this friendship? What are the elements of this relationship that we have? Let me, give, give, let me give you a few of this personal relationship found in this passage. There are many more, but I want to highlight just three found in this passage. First, a personal relationship with Jesus means our rescue. It means our rescue. The angel says, name him Jesus. Name him Jesus. What does that mean? It means he saves. Give him the name of Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus means. It means he saves every religion other than Christianity, says that the problem can be fixed with morality. If you grow in character, then you'll, be enough, you'll, you'll have enough to reach God. Of course, different religions have different sets of morality, but all of them say virtually the same thing. You have what you need to, to find this life uh, that, that is, is ultimate joy and ultimate satisfaction. 
every religion has a leader who says, this is the way to live and follow me and live in this way and you will then be where I am and have what I have. Christianity comes along and says, there's no level of your goodness that can get to where, where I am. Christianity is the only one that says the leader has come to actually rescue you rather than to show you how to live. Jesus came not on a humanitarian mission to make good people better. He came on a rescue mission to save sinful people who were incapable of saving themselves. Imagine you're in a hospital. We've had different occasions where we have been in the hospital, we've been in the emergency room, and we've been there for hours. If you've been there, you know what that is like. You can be there for half a day. <clears throat> the emergency room is packed. The hours are long and exhausting. They come in, they do multiple tests, and then you're just waiting. You're waiting for the physicians, the nurses. You're waiting for people to come in, the attending physicians to come in and give you the results or tell you the news. And one after another, the doctors and nurses come in and say, hey, we got the test results back, back and everything looks good. And you're like, oh, that's so good news. Thank you so much but we're still waiting on a few more. Okay, next person comes in and says, great news, test results came back, everything looks like it should be, we're really excited, we'll get you out of here in no time. One after another, doctors and nurses come in, all this good news, everything is fine, and we're gonna get you out of here, we just gotta finish some paperwork. And they all leave and you're just waiting and you're getting dressed. And then this doctor walks in the room, peeks his hood in and says, things are not okay. <laughs> I don't know what they're telling you, but things are really bad. And you shouldn't believe them. Okay, what are you gonna do? Are you thinking, okay, this is just one. This is just one person, and all these other people said I was fine. This probably is just, this, two options, really. This is a really bad doctor, or I need to investigate this further. And even if it's just one person among many doctors and nurses that have told you everything is fine, you're still probably going to investigate that because it's going to freak you out. It's going to terrify you. You're going to think, well, what if he's right? What if he's right and things are not as I have been told? What if things are really bad? What if I do need to investigate further? What if I should not be encouraged with the state of how things are? What do you do? You see, religion and, and modern philosophy says, you're okay. Just take this medicine, take the prescription of the doctor, follow his notes, and you'll get stronger each day. Work on yourself and you will be fine. Sure, you have character flaws, just like every single one of us, but you can work on them. No one is perfect. The angel pokes his head in and says, things are not really good. Things are not good. They're wrong. The problem is much deeper than what you have been told. You need nothing less than someone to save you, to rescue you. The gospel writer, Matthew, understands this, and he makes the connection. He makes the connection. And just think about this, because the angel says, <clears throat> name him Jesus. And Matthew says, I remember they told us that, we, that, that his name would be Emmanuel. Those are not the same names. So is, what is Matthew doing? Uh, is, is, is Matthew misunderstood? Is Matthew, are these two different people? Because he sees them as, two, he sees them as, the, same, as, the, as the same person, calling him Jesus and calling him Emmanuel. He remembers how the prophet Isaiah said that the, prophet, uh, that the promised Savior would be called Emmanuel. And the angel says that his name will be Jesus. And those aren't different names. Is the angel saying, is the angel... Is this angel saying that there's two different people coming? They're not two different people. They're the same. Because a relationship with God means our rescue. Emmanuel, when God is with us, where God is, there is salvation. And if we are with him and he is with us, then there is rescue from our sin. There is forgiveness of sin. There is salvation and there is eternal life. 
Even Jesus says, you want to know eternal life? It's to know me. It's to have relationship with me. Because if you're with me, then you are rescued. And, and Matthew understands this. He puts these two together. He will be called Emmanuel, God with us, and he will also be called Jesus he saves. Because to be with God is to have rescue. To have a relationship with God is to have salvation. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you have rescue and salvation and eternal life and forgiveness of sins and much more, but not less than that. Relationship with Jesus means rescue. Let's look at what else it means. A personal relationship with Jesus requires courage. It means courage, and it requires courage. There's a trait that is required in every person who desires a personal relationship with Jesus. It's courage. It's bravery. As we mentioned before, taking God at his word would mean social ridicule. It would mean embarrassment and possibly even life being threatened. We even see later in chapters that Joseph's life is at stake, and it's being threatened, and he's in fear of losing his life because of what's happening. It's difficult to take God at his word. It's difficult to follow him. And this passage teaches us that if we want a personal relationship with Jesus, we need to have courage to do so. I remember the days and months leading up to my own Christian conversion. I remember thinking and even saying to Christian leaders in my life at the time, pastors and Bible study leaders, as I was investigating the Christian faith and trying to learn more, I remember saying out loud, I, I really want to follow Jesus just as long as I can still be myself. I've said that. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever said that? I really want a relationship with Jesus sounds so wonderful, so amazing. But I don't want to lose me. I don't want to lose me at my core. I don't want to lose my passions. I don't want to lose my habits. I don't want to lose the things that give me pleasure. Can I do that? Can I do those things? I want to be a follower of Jesus without giving up my terms for how to live. The angel doesn't approach Joseph with alternative views of, of obedience or of reality. He says, this is what has happened, this is what you're going to do, and this is what it means. And there's no hint of deliberation. There's no hint of, of, of discussion and back and forth. Joseph didn't say, that sounds mostly good. I really like what you're telling me. I love that Jesus is coming to save us. But what if we call him Jeff? I really like the name. I've always wanted my firstborn to be Jeff. I mean, you don't see any of this. The angel lays down the terms. Call him Jesus, because this is what he's going to do. End of story. And we know that he wakes up from this dream and hearing the word from God, and he names him Jesus. There's no discussion. When Jesus presents himself, he always creates a fork in the road. When Jesus comes into a person's life and, and reveals himself and who he is, he immediately creates a fork in the road. He says, this is the way to life. It's to follow me. It's to know me. It's to lay down your life and to follow me. To lay down your terms, to lay down the claim for yourself and your desires and passions, the, the way that you want your life to go, and to follow me. And then this is the way to death. Apart from me, you have nothing. To, to, to gain your life, you will lose me. But to lose your life, you will have me. Have you ever noticed this in scripture? Jesus always does this when he presents himself to a person. Every time he has an encounter with a person, he provides a fork in the road and shows them the way to following him and the way to obedience. And he says, this is the way you were going apart from me. This is the way that you can continue to go apart from me or you can follow me, which is a way entirely different than where you are going. It isn't, God doesn't come into our life and a relationship with Jesus doesn't come in desiring to modify our life. 
He wants to, he wants, we are dead. He wants to raise us from the grave. He wants to make us a new creation. He wants to give us a new identity with a new heart and new habits and new passions and new dreams, new pleasures, completely new. And this is what Jesus does. The angel appears to Joseph and it's as if he is saying, you have to drop all of your conditions and expectations for how you thought your life was going to end up. Do you see this? Imagine what Joseph thought. I found this beautiful Hebrew girl. My parents are going to be so pleased. And she's fun and gorgeous. <clears throat> she's got just great birthing hips. I mean, she's just like, this is the kind of woman, these are the things that were, you needed. And she's, and she's pregnant. Imagine, I, I'm going to have, I don't know, we're talking about how many kids we're going to have and where we're going to live. And, and the angel comes and says, you've got to drop your expectations for how you thought your life was going to end up. It's all going to be different from here on. And he wakes up and he changes his life. He believes God and he reorients his whole entire life. It's not just about belief. It's not just like he believed God. He gave up his claim on the way he thought his life would go. And he trusted in God. This is what God has done. If it's true, if, if, if God, creator God, has become a man, and if the baby inside of Mary is, was put there by God, then even if my life, and this, and my life is going to end up differently, can't I trust him? <laughs> That's the reasoning I want you to wrestle with. That's the, I want to appeal to your reason, because it is reasonable to say, if that is God, then everything that happens in your life, because that is God, you're okay. You can trust in him. And however you thought your life was going to go, and if trusting and following God makes you go in a different direction, you don't want that life. It's not for your benefit. It's not for your good. It's for your harm. You have to give up your claim to the way you thought your life was going to go. And if that is God, you need to trust in him. How do we get this courage? We get this courage by looking at Jesus. This is what Joseph does. This is what we must do. We look at Jesus himself by considering the length that he had to go to to present himself to us for relationship, considering his birth, his life, his, his agony of life, his death and resurrection, and knowing that he has not left us in our sin but has come to rescue us. Consider all that that, that Jesus had to go through, the lengths he had to go through, all that he had to do in order to become a man. I mean, the, 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 the life, not claiming his own glory, right? The, the way that he wanted his life to go, giving up his, his tight grasp on that and, and living through the agony of being human when he didn't have to be. We can trust in him. If you, if you lack courage for this kind of life, because if you, if you believe that this is God, and if you believe that that was God in Mary, and Christmas is about the creator God becoming a man, then he's calling you to believe in that and reorient your whole life around it. And if you're lacking courage, which I'm sure you are, as I do at times, if you're lacking courage, just look at Jesus don't look at yourself. Don't look at what you're able to do. Don't look at the strength that you have. Don't look at your character. Don't look at your family. Don't look at your friends. Look at Jesus. How courageous did he have to be to pursue relationship with you? Very courageous is the answer. Leaving the comfort of heaven, becoming a man, sacrificing his own terms for how to live, giving up his life for you. 
No other religion has a God who, who has sacrificed so much. No other religion has a God with so much courage. No religion has a, has a God or leader who has gone to such great lengths to have a relationship with you. He became a human in order to suffer. He became a human in order to die. He became a human in order to save you. Jesus died for you. So relationship with him means our bravery to follow him and to enjoy this relationship that he's given. And lastly, a relationship with Jesus means that we will never be alone. This is at the heart of it. God with us. It's at the heart of God with us that we actually are never alone, that he is with us. We can have regular, loving, and, and caring com communion with Jesus. And not in a sentimental way, not in a, a figurative sense. Well, I know that God cares for me and he's always with me because there's things that happen in my life that are for my good. No, he's actually, he's really with you, relationally with you. He is, he's with you through the presence of his Holy Spirit. He abides in you. We are, we are united to him through faith, purely by his grace. Jesus was not merely born to let us know that God exists. He didn't come to the earth so that we can know that there is a God. He actually came so that we could be with him now and forever. When you pray, do you pray as if God hears you as a friend hears you? Or when you say your prayers... Do you do it out of a ritual or, out of a, or do you do it as a desire for deep and meaningful communion with God? Or do you do it because it's like, I hope that if I throw this out there, it'll, it'll, some, some God waves will grab it and, and he'll hear it somehow. Or do you go into prayer truly believing that this is a God's gracious means of your communion with him? When you read your Bible... Do you read mostly as one reads a textbook? Hearing about stories that once happened and brushing up on things you have forgotten and trying to pick out good moral nuggets for how to live? Or do you read the Bible as one reads a love letter from a friend that they just want to be with so bad? Do you read it as one reads a letter from God himself to his beloved children? that's what God's Word is. It is living. It is active. God's Holy Spirit uh, illuminates it in our hearts so that we understand it. It's God's Word for us. And when we go to the Bible, we're not just reading a textbook. We are communing with the God and Creator of all that there is. Our own hearts and souls and bodies and knows us, knows us well. Do you read the Bible as if it's the only means of knowing and drawing closer to God? Because it is. The only means of knowing the truth of God and drawing closer to Him is our thoughtful, spirit-filled reflection on His Word. Now let me ask you this. When you attend worship on Sunday, do you attend as one attends a wedding ceremony? Or do you attend as the bride in the wedding ceremony? Do you come to this service like you are coming to watch a wedding and hear wonderful things and hearing lovely things and hearing God's love? Or do you come to the worship service as if you are the bride hearing the groom tell you how much he loves you? And then you in turn telling the groom how much you love him. Because we are the bride of Christ. 
And our gathering on Sunday is not something we just observe from afar. It is something we participate in as his bride who has been bought and purchased by his blood and rescued and redeemed by the blood of Christ. He is called our groom in the scriptures and, the, and we are his bride. And every time we come together, we get to stand at that altar and, and renew our vows where he renews his vows to us and say, I still love you forever. I still will go to every length possible to be with you forever. And we stand with him and say, I can't imagine that to be true, but I love you too. And if you will give up all that for me, then I will follow you faithfully for my entire life. And I cannot wait until you come back. See, this wedding is somewhat interrupted. And so we need to be reminded. It's like being at the altar and the groom <laughs> runs off. <laughs> That's what Jesus did. You know, like, what are you doing? He's like, I'll be back. We're waiting for the groom to come back uh, to, to, in a, to consummate that marriage. Stick with me. It's this, it's this binding of relationship that is so tightly united that can never be separated. And so we come back every week because we long to be united with Jesus forever. That's what our worship service is. Please come not as an observer. Come as one, as a participant, as a bride of Christ who longs to hear the word of, of the beloved that you are loved and that you are not forgotten, that he is with us forever. Do you see the gracious means of God's fellowship with us through our, through our, our service, through our supper that we eat together, through our prayer and through our going to the scriptures? Do you realize that this is what the incarnation means for you? Do you realize this is what Christmas means? The, our rescue, our courage, our unbroken communion with the creator of the universe who has pardoned you of all wrongdoing on the basis of Jesus' perfect life, perfect obedience. Because God is with us, you and I can meet God and never be separated. We are never alone. Maybe this Christmas there's a fork in the road for you for the first time. Maybe this Christmas is that time where, where God is being presented to you in Jesus Christ. You've never seen it like that. You have been trying to find God. You've been trying to pursue God. And he is coming to you. He's providing a fork in the road. And he says, you can go this way that you have been going. You can continue in your life. You can continue to try to be a better person. Or you can, love, you can know me, trust in me, and follow me. And your life will never be the same. What you thought maybe this Christmas would be a time where you finally, it would finally be a time where you became good enough for God to love you. And maybe you've already thought about January of all the things that you want to do, so God will be, finally, you'll be good enough for God to love you. And maybe this is a time where you let go of the hold of becoming a better person and you take hold of Christ being in you, knowing Jesus, knowing what he's done for you, and resting fully in him. See it as a time where God has come to you. No one forced him. No one tricked him. He faced all the pain and suffering so that you and I would never be alone and we would be with him forever. Trust in him. Place your faith and trust fully in him and follow him. He will never let you down. Let's pray.